I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite House of the Dragon. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this whole thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AW Dynamite, but also AW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. Sidge, the floor's yours, mate. Uh, I'm worried this is going to go four hours. <laughs> it was such a fascinating, eventful, at its peak, incredible show. Um, I'm going to start with a bit of a whinge, right? Not about the content or the quality of the show, which is absolutely stratospheric at its peak, but what kind of annoys me, right, is there's a certain wrestling fan who goes, pay-per-view on TV. No, that's not, uh, not how it bloody works. Stop getting <laughs> episodic wrestling wrong. You don't want a pay-per-view on TV because it's not just about matches. It's this storytelling universe that grips you in several different ways. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. The ideal television wrestling show has great promos, great angles to get you to watch the matches, and indeed great matches as well. It's the holy trinity of perfect or near-perfect episodic wrestling television. And God damn it, this had the holy trinity out the ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I figured with... Uh, a lot of elements of this show, this would be, be right up your street. But this was, you know, this was a major night in professional wrestling. This was something we've looked forward to for, for many, many months. So congratulations, Michael Hamflot, on actually getting a win uh, on ladies' night. That's uh, far more earnest than both me and Cedric were expecting there because we both gave each other a look to say, what things are going to pull up? How is Tony D'Angelo going <laughs> to into this opening discussion on Dynamite? Uh, this was excellent. This was, there was so much to love. The Holy Trinity is a great point because there was just so much to love. There was something around the corner. Like you were already enjoying the thing you were watching and there was something around the corner still to enjoy or there was a speculation of how possibly they could do this when you've already got this to look forward to. It's great when you've got a main event that's got all the speculation hype around it because no matter what's happening in front of you, you know you've got this thing lingering in the background that tonight's night, Kenny comes back or whatever. Um, it was... Uh, like I'm going to start with a little bit of a criticism as well because I'm just looking forward to like lavishing a ton of praise yes. on what we saw. This was, to me... Um, a bit of a reality check for AW. So Brian came back a couple of weeks ago and has had this cracking series with uh, Danny Garcia straight away. 
Kenny's pretty much announced return without outwardly announcing mm-hmm. it. Moxley's been holding it down as interim champion, but Punk comes back in as the as the champion and reminds you that this is like the top line series. Um, I think there's a pretty big gap between the stars and the not stars in AEW, and I think this brought that into focus. I absolutely love this in a way that I haven't really loved an entire Dynamite for quite a long time. And there's two there's two ways to frame that, so I'll try and do it both ways. To be fair, one is well, like how can you expect the wrestling show to be at a top level when mm-hmm. it's missing all its top stars? But it has shown me that maybe it hasn't done a good enough job of setting up the guys to step into its place because Crisis was loaded with stars and big moments and big matches and just that big, like, big fight feel the whole night. And it's like, yeah, this has been missing. Like, Tony Khan probably needs to focus in and do a little bit of a better job at the guys to replace because a small injury crisis has led to the gap that when you saw it all back in place tonight, wow, it's still awesome. It's a bit of an indictment as well because if he's done nothing else, and he's done loads, but he's built, 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 built to the point where a lot of people are going, may just luxuriate in this incredible mm. house that you've built already mm-hmm. and just book a television around the stars. Um, but he's constantly building. He's building Parker Boudreaux and goddamn two dimes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he needs to do a better job of the thing that he won't stop doing. I don't know. This, yeah. this is awesome. I don't care. But look at that. Look. When this show's as phenomenal as it was last night, you can tell the difference from when we think the show's not so good. It's light and shade. <laughs> Stop complaining when we nitpick about a show that we want to be as good as it was last night. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Start with an opening promo. CM <laughs> <laughs> Punk comes out wearing the world title on his Heat shoulder. Heat would never. Um, he uh, he says, oh, I've been trying to keep my bloody tough guy face on here, but the, the amazing reception he got just made him smile, made him happy. Uh, but he has stuff to deal with. First of all, he uh, he says, Hangman Page, come out, let's have a rematch. And nothing happens. And he goes, well, it looks like it's coward shiz instead of cowboy shiz tonight. And he moves on and says, the apology must be as loud and public as the disrespect. If anyone has a problem with the champion, he says, come on down. Uh, he says, look, everyone here talks about... Uh, talks a lot about everything uh, until it's time to do champ shiz. So now let's move on to John Moxley. Um, he says, look, Moxley might be number one in your hearts, but uh, I'm number one in the ring. Moxley's always been number two. He's even the third best guy in his group, which is a sort of recurring theme throughout his career, basically. Anyway, this, of course, brings out Moxley and Punk Mox, how long it takes him to get to the ring by doing Snow Angels and <laughs> singing along to Mox's theme at one point. Uh, and Mox swaggers in and says, oh, look out, ladies and gentlemen, Punk's dropping pipe bombs. Um, um, Punk uh, fires back by saying, oh, no, I think I've mixed mixed this up here, but Moxley uh, talks about breaking bones and drinking blood, but the only person who's broken bones in the last six months is me. Granted, it was my own, but still. um, He also had said previously, I think I've got this in the wrong order, Moxley's uh, best friend, Eddie, is the third best Eddie he's been in the ring with. Yeah, it took me to page 14 of CM Punk's cage match with their control and F on Eddie's before <laughs> I found an Eddie Vegas who worked a tag match against uh, Punk and Colt Cabana back in Ring of Honor in 2005, which of course would be Eddie Guerrero being the, the second Eddie. When I won, I went on a different track to try and research the <laughs> um, the secret meaning behind this joke. And I thought, right, okay, work names, there's not that many Eddies. So what about shoot names? Um, Teddy Hart's called Edward. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't even think Punk would go there because Teddy Hart is a, uh, he might be a monster, actually. Yeah, he's a bad wrong'un. 
Uh, so yeah, he's the third best Eddie's been in the ring with. He's the second best Kingston he's ever shared a locker room with. Great life. And he's going to beat Moxley in Chicago. Uh, and that's not even going to be the best John he's beaten in <laughs> Chicago. At this point was Mo- when Moxley came out, I should say. Uh, and he fires back saying, your mouth's right in checks, your body can't cash. Look, the title on your shoulder isn't worth anything. Neither is this one, though. He's got the interim title on his shoulder. He chucks it down. He says, until I beat you, this doesn't mean anything, basically. Uh, Moxie says he's the heart and soul of AEW. And Punk says, well, I'll be the dollars and the cents then. Um, and Moxie says, well, we both know you only came to AEW because you ran out of money. And they go forehead to forehead. And, you know, Punk's, you know, Mox wants to fight right now, but Punk wants to wait until pay-per-view. So ugh, Moxie doesn't bleed all over him. And then, of course, the fight's on. They're swinging. And then they have to be separated. And, uh, well, you, uh, you talked about this on Twitter, Sige. Um, but I'm sure the mega fans will forgive you because, uh, yeah, they really wanted to kick the crap out of each other, didn't they? they this wasn't one, I mean, it happened on another occasion a little bit late, we'll get to, but this wasn't just, don't, don't hate each other. Oh, okay. This was scratching and clawing to just to just touch the other person. Yeah, I hate Phil Brooks with a passion. <laughs> uh, he's just an absolute wanker of a human being, and I hope he gets his. Uh, I hope that his eyes pop out of his sockets when Mox applies that bulldog choke next week. Like I talk about the Holy Trinity, it's one of the best promos you'll hear all year, right? And it's not just because he shouted really loudly. I'm 36 years old. I'm just going to repeat the tweet. I'm going to do that quite often. It's my thing when I love a dynamite so much, I can't stop talking or thinking <laughs> about it. So I'm going to have to regurgitate. I apologize. But again, the mega fans will forgive me. So there's no apology necessary, really. <laughs> I'm 36 years old. I turn 37 next month. I think I've been smartened up for literally three decades of my life. It's there or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. I was in junior school when someone in the park next to where my old house that I grew up in lived told me, I oh, you know it's fake. And I was absolutely devastated. I was just inconsolable. And what was he called? David Snowball told me, you know, it's, it's fake, you know. You're a loser for liking it. It's fake. They're not really fighting. I was like, oh, they might have been in tears. I think I was very, very uh, just inconsolable. Um, so Did I you just, scrap them? No, no, no. He was like the hard kid. Oh, so it wasn't a snowball fight? No, 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 no. no. Complete one. <laughs> and uh, so I just trudged home, probably in tears. Uh, opened the door, saw my dad in the kitchen. And dad, Snowball said it's fake wrestling. Is it fake? My dad went, I course it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I come out of my dad. Yeah, it's, not real. it's good, but it's not real. Uh, <laughs> so it's good. So that happened in my life 28 to 30 years ago, right? And I'm prone to recency bias. And hyperbole. But that's the way to live about wrestling. You want it to be great. Oh, yeah. You want it to feel all these things. Heels are too good at their jobs because they are so entertaining that you don't really hate them deep down. And, you know, I'm a fucking adult. I'm a grown man. With responsibilities. And accomplishments, goddammit. And, and a I, book about AEW. And a book about AEW, <laughs> which is one such accomplishment, which you can order if you just type in <laughs> Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW on Amazon right now. And I hate CM Punk. Like, I bone deep thought he was a tosser. He riled me up so much. And what an absolute endorsement that is of the John Moxie character mm-hmm. and how much I love him and how much he does wonderful things to make you love him and gravitate towards him. That when Punk was saying all this, I was just thinking, feeling, bone deep. You fucking wanker. <laughs> I think you are a wanker, and I want John Moxley to stove your head in 
It was massive. The promo was masterful, of course, because he wrote this reaction from me. Um, John Moxley saying you ran out of money and you ran out of fighting spirit a long time mm. ago. It was just phenomenal comeback stuff. Um, and again, this was so good that Punk was literally burying him without barely paying him a compliment. That's the wrong way to do it. But you can break rules when rules have been established, as we'll get to later on on my Giyad, when it's this hot, this believable, this big, this emotional. This was an absolutely incredible bit of promo work from CM Punk. This might be my favorite CM Punk promo ever. I know he's got probably better ones, more iconic ones. I've never felt heel heat subjectively for a professional wrestler in 30 years that I can remember where I thought, I'm desperate for your smug twat face to get f***ing rearranged <laughs> by John Moxley. He, uh, he did have some good lines, though, Punk, didn't he? The conceit was fabulous, by the way. Well, I was going to say, the mega fans can forgive Sidgwick, and I hope they can forgive me, except Matt Reigns. I don't care if he lives or dies, but the rest of them I want to forgive me because... <laughs> Like, and Tony Khan and Phil Brooks can thank me. It's out there on Twitter yesterday, and we talked about it at length in the preview. The three baby faces of AW, core baby faces, have all said from the beginning, CM Punk's the worst guy. And then CM Punk, one by one by one, named them and nailed them individually. Hangman Page is the first guy. Mimics a shoot, awful thing that Shawn Michaels did to The Undertaker back in 1997, responding to a taped promo when he knew he wasn't in the building, and he did it as a work. Goes for Page first, tick. Goes for Eddie Kingston, tick. Like he's in, he's specifically targeting the people that are just universally beloved by the AW fan base, landing on John Moxley. And the point about breaking the rules, Punk is burying Moxley, but Punk's so Punk's delivery and his style is so good that there's an inf an inference the whole time that it's done with that way of like, oh, I'm gonna have to fight you because I need to know. And that then tacitly puts over Moxley as the guy as well. So even when he's breaking the rules, he's still found this way to follow him because he's just unlike almost anybody else. He's CM Punk is, is uh, and we're going to probably throw this word around quite a lot on this particular review, but CM Punk is a genius for stuff like this, an absolute pro wrestling genius. To have been in this company a year, and this ties into something else that we got later on with Moxley and Punk. Oh, no, it was in this section, actually. Um, to have been in this company a year and have already achieved so much in all his individual programs whilst keeping the big picture really tight and contained that you can revisit it in all the individual feuds. It's just inspired and it's just, it's the art, I hate to use this phrase, it's the art of wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a master of this. Punk, all year, has been saying, like, that opening promo that he did where, like, he was just saying, you know, I left wrestling in 2005 and I'm back in wrestling. Like, all about the love and love, all this kind of thing. And then it's been Kingston and Page and Moxley that have been willing and brave enough to put their heads above and call him out on that and saying it's not that. And it's John Moxley tonight for the first time that has made Punk outwardly say, like, yeah, all right, you do it for the heart and soul. I'll do it for the dollars and the cents. He's never been overt about that before. If he'd have been overt about that in the MJF feud, that changes everything. That changes everything about that dynamic. Punk's still got to be in this. Darby Allen from the very beginning. If he says, well, yeah, it's like I do love wrestling, but by the way, thanks Tony Khan and rubs his fingers together, like these T-shirts are going to like put a new wing on my house. That kills it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Like this is the exact time to do it because Moxley himself has never really outwardly admitted to be like, we know he's a heart and soul. And he was a heart and soul when he was telling you to call your grandmother in April 2020, but he would never say that. Like he's here to fight and he's here to, like the belt that is over his shoulder is what it's all about. And he's Blackpool Combat Club and all that. But Punk in front of him is the moment where he has to say, no, I'm the heart and fucking soul, mate. Like, and if it's not me, it's Eddie Kingston. If it's not Eddie Kingston, it's Hangman Page. And you know that and I know that. 
and all of this. Jesus Christ, like absolutely incredible. And the announcement, which I know we're going to get to, and there's there's more to follow, so I won't tread on the toes of the, like of the podcast. But to go back to like other feuds recently, and probably this is more something we're saying WWE did this, and it's a Monday Night Raw and promo, right? Why these used to be so effective when like they were pioneered as Raw was on a charge was because whatever got said and whatever got done made you mega super ultra hype to see that paid off right now in a wrestling match. Vince Russo never understood that. Got that first bit so right, and it was like, well, you're supposed to end in a match, mate. So it would either be Raw's main event or the pay-per-view that's coming up. I need it. I want it right now. That's what this did. Cut to a graphic we got later on. So it's it's wrestling operating at its highest at its highest level. Like the way to do a show opening promo was this. Um, ay, Punk's lines, Punk's delivery, Moxley's retorts. This, this was perfect. Mm. I completely understand the feeling of why you have it in your head that Punk must have done more epic stuff. But his latest epic is always better than his previous epic yeah he's a, a master of that like the, the like the kingston eddie john stuff should be too cute to work as well as it does like that stuff shouldn't be as effective as it is but punk's make punk makes it mean something yeah i love like he it. said call moxley number two and the whole gag is you shot yourself like that's <laughs> it. and even that is there if you want it and like the snow angels was the thing he did against john cena in the pipe bomb era you can visualize him doing it with his you know punk shirt on and stuff it was triple h he did it against as well like, that's a massive show of disrespect in punk law, you know, to be doing that to a John Moxley. Sang groovy. Go and sing groovy. Yeah. Like you kind of... Groovy. Kind of, like, talk over him, like, yeah. the Moxley doing the kiss off the back of all that Effie nonsense. Yeah. Like, all the controversy around the Effie match. Every single second of this was brilliant. I've missed CM Punk a great deal. <laughs> Some people didn't like the uh, fact that John Moxley said this interim title doesn't mean shh, right? Particularly since he spent two months saying the absolute opposite, the absolute opposite. But at the same time, if you put yourself in the mind of a competitor, right, and both Punk and Mox here, the whole idea is that they don't feel like champions. They can't because Mm. Punk didn't defend it. He's watched on as John Moxley has steadied the ship. The sheriff is Michael. Excalibur that said the summer of Mox. Yeah, like that uh, was, that's great. What a line! Like that became the summer of Mox after all. That's gonna boil Punk's piss, isn't it? Like, <laughs> so that's great because Punk's watching on and knowing that right. Okay, well he's deputized superbly as champion to the point where I can't really really feel like a champion. Yes, I achieved it, but you're only a champion if you defend. Mm-hmm. Um. The hardest part isn't getting there, it's staying there. And he never got the chance to stay there. So that'll be annoying at him. And John Moxley the whole time is thinking, yes, they keep calling it interim. Yes, I beat Tanahashi. I beat Jericho. Like, legends of the game. I beat the best overcomers, like Takeshita. Um, like, war- like, the hardest men, mm. Vance Warner. Um, and he's still thinking, well, it's Punk's title. Officially, it's mm. his title. I can't feel like a champion. So neither belt to them can really mean anything. Both of them together have to mean something. So that was my response to yeah, that. Yeah, and I love this so much. I think uh, maybe maybe it's me being biased or whatever, but I don't think so. I think you're right. I think the way he's held himself and, and held the championship is, uh, you know, been a great way to exemplify I'm the champion in, in kind of all but name officially, but there's no one else here. So I'm, I don't know why, but I thought the, it was very specific verbiage. I think he said this interim championship doesn't... So he didn't say the, you know, overall the, yeah. the the championship doesn't mean. He's like, he, when you're physically confronted with someone wearing the world title, you can't really be like, but I got this one. Yeah. Yeah. So I just the hole has to 
it, it's the whole, not the individual part. At no yeah. point did either guy not think they were the number one guy, mm. yeah. and they both knew there was only one way to prove this, and everybody physically got in the way of them proving it. Yeah, I'd say almost everyone enjoyed this, aside from maybe like a Tony Nice. We'll get to him. <laughs> uh, backstage, Powerhouse Hobbs says he doesn't need friends. Um, he said Ricky proved to the world he was okay with losing, but Hobbs is not okay with it. He was walking around with, oh, for, sorry, for two years, Ricky was walking around as if he was some sort of God, God's gift. But he was always hiding behind Hobbs's back. He was hired to do one thing, and that is make sure Ricky stayed champion, and he couldn't do it. Hobbs breaks backs, but he also breaks necks as well. And as far as Cutie and the factory are concerned, he's got something for them too. This is a terrifying man. A terrifying man. Really great promo and a good use of what to do with this feud this week. Because with everything that was happening with Punk and Mox, you couldn't really justify two blood feud angles at the same time. More on that later. Um, we had the two out of three falls match next, which I'm not going to do justice to whatsoever. So pause the podcast if you haven't watched it. Go and watch it and then come back. Right. Uh, we had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat who, I don't know, there was something about him on the show. I just didn't, didn't really didn't warm to him. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe we'll get to it later. Uh, he was the guest timekeeper for the match, of course. because this Didn't a- warm to wrestling's <laughs> only lifelong baby face. Something about him. One of the greatest of all time. Can't put my finger on it. I mean, we'll get to it. <laughs> the guy who kept his nose clean. <laughs> this is... Uh, his real name is Dick Blood. <laughs> devoted, yeah. devoted husband. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, just something. Guy gave Steve Austin literally everything he had left in 1994 because he was one of the few people of that generation to actually give a toss about the next. Stole the show at WrestleMania 3 and then still said, I'm going to take time off because my son's being born. And I just want to go home. To, yeah. I liked him here. I just, just Maybe as the show <laughs> went on, I didn't... I went off him a bit, but yeah. I can't, can't put my finger on why. But yes, of course, he's their guest timekeeper for the match. This is House of the Dragon, after all. Um, just occurred to me that CM Punk spat fire in the first few seconds of the House of the Dragon. He's the best dragon on the whole show. He was. And he's an arsehole. And, yeah. the show, and the show closed with a dragon being attacked as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let, it, let stuff breathe, Tony. And we'll get to it. Um, locking heel hooks with each other to start off straight away. They're jockeying for position. Um, Garcia pushes Daniels in the corner and just slaps him. Slaps him to take us to a break. When we come back, Danielson's hitting him with yes kicks. Running knee in a corner. Um, Garcia counters a Frankenstein into a cradle, though, for a two count. Um, exchange really odd bloody chops. Um, and Garcia hits a butterfly su- suplex, transitions that into an arm bar. Uh, Danielson reverses it into a regal plex for two. Garcia goes to the floor. Danielson hits a driving do- drop kick. Garcia comes back with a back suplex on the outside. Be careful. Um Hammer and anvil strikes. Danielson turns a sharpshooter into a triangle, but get, uh, Garcia fights out. I'm going to pause throughout this because if I just do the whole match, then it, we're going to miss stuff here. So I'm going to obviously come to you for this. Garcia fights out with a pile driver. Uh, Hammerlock dragon sleeper. Danielson uh, goes out. Ten minutes in. Garcia leads one nil. Your thoughts on the pile driver? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> well, do I make it official? Oh my god. Oh my god. Right, the first fall was absolutely class. The whole match was absolutely un goddamn believable, right? So Brian Anderson's a genius, this has been well established, and mm-hmm. he illustrates his genius like multiple times throughout this one match, right? He is so unbelievably great. It's a bit where he's inviting the chops. Watch his eyes. Go back and watch this match. You probably will anyway, right? Because it was so goddamn great. Watch his eyes. He's assessing with his eyes and telling you that this lad is graduating from understudy to peer in front of his very eyes. It's not just a standout emerging indie prodigy. He's looking at him like he's a peer with his eyes. Eyes are so 
fundamental to wrestling, but expressions sometimes get ignored. Watch Danielson in this match. He looks at him like a peer, and you then believe he's a peer because his storytelling is so great. The technical struggles were obviously fantastic. Like, it's the sort of thing where you really feel your own heel, like, uncomfortable because, <laughs> like, it's just so visceral. Um, the strikes were obviously great. The Hurricane Runner reverse. Like, all the action was absolutely fabulous, but the facial expressions were absolutely tremendous. This pile driver was frightening <sighs> because he looked like, um, you know, when you watch those horrific mid-2010s spree of styles clashes where he, like, Four went badly, badly wrong. Mm. Where you're watching people take it because the whole point is it's the one move that you don't tuck your head for. You just stand still, don't tuck your head. It's counterintuitive to how you learn, but don't tuck your head. And some people unfortunately did. Um, Daniel Bryan looked like he wasn't going to tuck his head, and even Taz was like, Watch your head, watch your head, Brian, watch your head. And then the last second he tucked, but he made you think that he was going to break his goddamn neck on a pile driver. When was the last time you watched a pile driver and thought, "Oh, someone's going to get their neck broken watching this"? When, seriously, when was the last time? It was. It just gave me it, every time I see it, it gives me flashbacks to Austin Owen Hart because you know what's coming. You're like his head's in the wrong place. Your head's in the wrong place. And I thought the exact same thing with with Danielson. I was like, I know you're the best, but you're in the wrong place. And I know you like violence. And I know you are willing to go a little bit harder than he did. And don't do this. Don't do this. And then he didn't, obviously. But you had the fear, and the impact was so great. And it's the like when they talk about the offside rule about the air. You know, you're supposed to see air between the players. Yeah. You're not supposed to see the air behind someone's head. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't be there. That should be against the body. Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. be those gaps right there. He's just an absolute master of this, and he's a master of this. And here's the thing: it's a mini program against a guy who is going to get over and defeat. It's something we've seen in AEW quite often. It's a it's a, it's a trope of their programming and one that I've loved to death, right? But because Danielson's a genius, he doesn't just do these things. He does them better than anyone else. In a mini program that ultimately functions to build to a bigger profile main event or upper mid-card match against Jericho, because Danielson's a goddamn genius, he's given Daniel Garcia two submission holds that in the months to come, when Garcia applies them, Excalibur can point out, he beat Brian Danielson with this. He beat Brian Danielson with this. And he's given him two. The Dragon Sleeper, because it's not just too cute, it's also great. And the Dragon Slayer uh, modified Dragon Tamer, yeah, 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 the Dragon Tamer. Oh, God, I just love him so much. Oh, he's just so good. And I, I'm going to step on the toes of the rest of the match, but the way in which the falls were determined was so great to tell mm. the story. He got beaten clean as a sheet in the first fall. Like, it wasn't the interference of Jake Hager or capitalizing on a concussion. He beat him clean as a sheet in that first fall. Clean as a sheet. And Excalibur put him over as, like, if this was the rubber match, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. The second one didn't steal one, wasn't opportunistic, but he did get lucky. And there's a difference because of the way it's sold. It's not like, oh, the result didn't really matter because he stole one. That's not the real quiz. He was, Daniel Bryan was desperate and just used, like, something that you... Daniel Garcia would be able to do what Danielson did if he'd wrestled about 10 years longer. That was it. Not skill, pure experience determined that the second fall. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, oh, Danielson. Brian. Danielson, I'm sorry. I'll get your thoughts after I, after I talk about this, the second fall, because, yeah, he was, he, well, he was dead. He barely made it to his feet for the, for the 10 count to start the second fall. Uh, and Garcia just walks over and just goes, oh. <laughs> him about a bit. Uh, he's in control, takes us to break. 
Uh, we come back. He's still in control. Danielson's been busted open because he's been DDT'd on the concrete. He is uh, barely there, basically. Um, Garcia goes back to the Dragon Sleeper to finish this once and for all. But Danielson turns it into a cradle and ties things up at 1-1, Hamlet. Yeah, it just, like, I don't have a lot to add from Sidgwick's take there, really. Danielson is almost, like, I, the, the first fall is more dramatic, inevitably, than the second fall in a two-out-of-three falls match because these things typically have to go a certain way. Um, Danielson in situations like this is, I kind of understand why he would always rather put people over than go over because he's kind of a better loser than he is a winner. <laughs> There's a more intricate story being told when he's getting beat because he finds it, because he, he, he walks around as a man that just is the best at this. So how does somebody beat the best? And that's what you get to watch play out, you know? And he's he morphed in this match into William Regal training these guys how to be the next version of himself. And that point about the eyes is probably what, like, I wasn't spotting but was just simply being dragged into, was that Brian was doing more. I was picking it up more from the louder, more obvious 50-foot high signs at the end uh, in the closing fall and then in the post-match with Chris Jericho that... Brian, the entry, basically the entry criteria to the Blackpool Combat Club turns out isn't just about bleeding together. Like, their differences is kind of what brings it, makes this whole thing whole. So Moxley, you are going to have to absolutely fight to the death and bleed all over each other because that's who John Moxley is. Brian Danielson, you've got to out-wrestle him. You've got to out-wrestle him here. So in the same way that Moxley initiated Utah in their series, we saw Brian doing that with Garcia here, and of course that would play into the story at the end, but by just simply out-wrestling him with a cradle in the second four, was that like, it's when you're the age where you probably could beat your dad in a fight, but then he just reminds you that, not yet, son, not yet. Like, that was the perfect way to round this off to a decider, because what you've really seen here in the first fall is that Garcia has, has properly out-wrestled him, but uh, Brian's used veteran experience to level it up. Mm. It's, doing so much more to put Garcia over as a superior wrestler in the knowledge that he's going to win the match. He's getting played off the park, but he's con- they've conceded an equaliser from a set piece. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so immediately after that equalising fall, Garcia just jumps back all over Danielson because he knows he's still, you know, he, Danielson's just escaped with that one, the skin of his teeth sort of thing. But Danielson traps Garcia in the tree of woe, hits him with yes kicks, an avalanche German followed by a missile drop kick, go to the outside, Danielson keeps it up. Uh, there's a bit where he kept pulling Car- Garcia into the ring post. Garcia gets pulled into it like five times. And still, Danielson get pulled in once, gets pulled in once, and I go, oh, concussion. There we go. Um, they tease a count out. Garcia gets in, uh, and he's been slightly busted open, I think. Uh, or he's covered in Danielson's blood. Who knows? Um, there's a strike exchange during the picture-in-picture. Picture. Uh, Garcia puts him in a sharpshooter, the dragon tamer, as we mentioned. Um, Danielson turns it into a label lock. Garcia puts it in a pin to try and escape. Danielson gets hit with a drop kick in the corner and goes, oh, is that it? And then just hard chops <laughs> him back. And then Garcia hits the Busaiku knee on Danielson for a great two count. Um, Danielson fires up on a knuckle lock, attacks forearms, ground and pound. And he goes to set up for them and kick his head in. I don't know the official name of that move, but I'm calling it that. Um, but then Garcia reversed it to the chagrin of the crowd. Um, Danielson finally, though, gets out of it and does it himself to um, Locks on the triangle. Uh, Garcia goes for the pile driver again, but he's just not got enough strength left in him to, to get out of it that way. And so he just starts swinging at this point, desperation to try and get out of all this. Um, but Danielson eventually applies the label lock, elbows, and the referee just calls it off. Uh, about 25, 26 minutes this went. 
Danielson eventually wins the two out of three falls match. 2-1, uh, and what an epic conclusion, Hamlet. Glorious. Like, absolutely glorious stuff. I love this, and yet my expectations were that I was going to love this. So it took them... It took them to have the type of match they had for me to, like, squeal with delight. That's how spoiled we are, I think, in 2022. Um, and yet they got that out of me. Like, especially in that last fall as well. Garcia, as you say, like, flailing wilder by the end. Kind of, like, abandoning the plan at this point. Like, I love watching that happen to a wrestler. Like, that feels real. Like, you have to contextualise so much of wrestling of being real when in reality so many of the beats play out the same every time. And that one, that specific one of... We have done everything that would have been in our plan and in our playbook. What have we possibly got left? You said about the set piece. This is the throwing the keeper forward, of which Sunderland were a victim to, which is possibly why I felt it so much in this match. <laughs> like, Garcia's got to throw some fists because he's got to throw the keeper forward the last minute. Like, all right, I wrestled him really well in the first fall, but he's trapped me in the second fall, and now we're both absolutely goosed. Maybe this will do it, you know? Um, the Dragon Tamer. Oh, my God. Like, the Dragon Tamer as a move is fun. The first time he did that, like, it was like a snap sharpshoot. You're like, Wow! This is amazing, like a star-making moment from a proper kill shot if you established it. For them to name it the Dragon Tamer, when he is now in a tug of love between the Dragon and the Lion Tamer, Christian. Like, that is so incredible. Like, this finisher is now defining who Daniel Garcia is as what this next huge career I hadn't career thought about that. That's make. awesome. That is absolutely amazing. Like, what a fantastic detail that is. Like, you could just name it the Dragon Slayer because he's mm -hmm. named himself the Dragon Slayer, and they've come up with that instead as Garcia finds himself trapped in the middle. Brilliant. This was an epic, and it's exactly what Garcia needed, I think, because too many people, I didn't agree with this take, but I was seeing it a lot, were being so well-worked by the guy in the Kangol hat that they were like, oh, they really should have put him in the Blackpool Combat Club. No, have some patience and let it play out. He was always that wrestler. Nothing changed him being that wrestler because he wore the funny hat under instruction. Like, I think this match was a reminder that some people, not me, needed to show you what this was all about all along. And they have the absolute best goddamn reason for him to be in the goddamn JAS yeah. in the first the charity place. Charity donation thing. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't just because they needed him to be in it to then facilitate this next phase of his character arc. They found the perfect reason for him to be in it in the goddamn first it's place. It's not Swerve and Lee getting together to split up, is it? Yeah. It's not that. Um, i got to say, one of my favorite parts of this was, was the post-match. Can uh, we talk briefly about the meditation moment? Go on. It kind of happened mostly in picture and picture, right? Where there's a bit where Danielson, who's been given one of his fiercest challenges by someone who's threatening to kind of subsume his legacy and just replace him, basically, is so, like, shaken by being confronted by this next iteration of himself that he has to just go arse first on the map, do this meditative yoga pose to find himself more deeply, drawn the deepest, like, wellspring of his being to then go and be him. Uh, unbelievable. They should not have done that in picture-in-picture. Picture. Yeah. It's fine for me. It's on fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, just get a VPN and get fight. Stop being a bitch about these. Uh, what can they do in the adverts? Just don't watch them. I didn't have any picture-in-picture picture issues last week because um, I was watching Dynamite on ITV4 when I got back off my holidays, like six days later or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, wasn't there some sort of kick up? Like there was a Walter Jericho spot that Jericho himself was happy to weigh in on or something. There was some discourse about doing the Lion Tamer Sorry, yeah, yeah. in picture-in-picture uh, picture because the idea is no one was going to buy it as a finish. Mm. But And I love Dave, I do. I know people have fallen out with him or whatever, but one of his big things was you should train the audience that a match can finish in an advert. Mm. So that was them 
doing that. And yeah. obviously, like, when they came back, everyone was going absolutely wild. My take on that, because we didn't really talk about it, because, again, we all watch it on fight legally <laughs> in Britain, don't we, um, is that he argued, Melter, that it was contrived because he knew it wasn't going to finish, and it weakens the submission hold and the drama surrounding submission hold, right? The crowd bought it because they wanted Moxie to fight through, yeah. which says it all, yeah. right? But at the same time, is it not infinitely more contrived to go, right, tape machines have stopped rolling temporarily, um, just do some slow bollocks until they come back People know on. to look for it now as well. Yeah. You know to look for those headlocks and the referee doing the little whispering and stuff We've got like a bit that. of it in the main event, yeah. where it's like, right, oh, it's slowed down now. Oh, right, okay, well, this is two minutes of nothing. Like, it's an impossible thing to get right, but I thought they got it way more right last week than wrong. It's also weird as a viewer, because normally they go, oh, you know, can so-and-so recover from a dive or whatever it may be? And then you come back and it's the he, uh, the baby face powering out of a sort of lackluster submission. In fact, they went to a break in the submission, three minutes passed by, you go and make a cup of tea or whatever, and you come back and you're like, wait, whilst I've been doing all that, he's still just been yeah. in there. He's not, he's back, he's not, can't be able, and he couldn't stand, obviously, subsequent to that, so... But yeah, anyway, we, uh, the, I want to talk about this post, post-match post angle because uh, Garcia was just sensational because people may think it's oh, overly dramatic or whatever. No, I've watched MMA fights. I've watched UFC fights where someone gets so knocked out, whether that be choked out or punched so hard in the face they get black, they black out, that when they wake up, they start trying to try and have a fight with the this the referee, but they think it's mm. their opponent. So Garcia just sort of waking up from whatever's just happened and going, "Oh, boy, there's Danielson just pulling at his knee pad or whatever." I thought was just a, an excellent sort of cherry on the icing on the cake sort of thing. And yeah, again reiterated why Danielson was like, "Bloody hell, fair play, mate!" Handshake and all that offers his hand. Uh, Jericho's been on commentary this whole time, putting Garcia over, slagging off Danielson, of course. But he's had enough. He's not seeing. He's not watching. You know where this is going. So he runs down before uh, Garcia can can shake Danielson's hand. Jumps in from behind, attacks him, but Garcia shoves him off. Slaps away a handshake. We'll cover a little bit of the fallout from this later on. Uh, but then, of course, Garcia, the sports entertainer. To close this segment, gets a you're a wrestler chance. That's incredible. It was, it's not one of those wrestling things where it's like, right, okay, hey, the Miz has got tiny balls. And the Miz goes, I don't have tiny balls, <laughs> guys. <laughs> Do tiny I? balls. Tiny, tiny balls. balls. Tiny balls. This is a thoroughly organic, incredible scene for me. And again, the Trinity. So you got classic... In the first hour, it's one of the best hours in Dynamite history, this. Yeah. In the first hour alone, you get the best promos from one of the best promo guys ever. An absolute classic TV match. And then a fantastic angle that the crowd are begging to see in the post-match. So organic as well. Wrestlers don't like, because it was so loud and pronounced, like Brian not ignoring it either. Like he was sat like again, like look like he weathers himself on purpose to look like an old man or something. Like he wants to be Daniel Garcia is like Mr. Miyagi type figure and he <laughs> just sat there with his like hair all of a sudden like, listen to him, like pointing at them and saying, Listen to them. Like this Jericho, this ridiculous figure that is Chris Jericho, the sports entertainer. It's magic. It's so good this. And it was good from the off. This was like remember that that this was never not the plan. So this is earned. Mm. You know what they should do for the goddamn heat angle when it evolves into Jericho versus Garcia. Jericho should break his legs. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my money back. Yeah. No. All right. Okay. Well, I'll break your legs then. 
<laughs> like when he was hanging out the window. It's harsh because that actually happened to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Hanging out the window, MJ just run a car into it. Like, yeah, scram! Like this is Jericho <laughs> speed off. Let's left cheese left. it. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market right swerving our glory and private party are backstage they're going to face off on rampage which me and Sid will of course preview tomorrow um they're going to face for the tag titles uh, private party say because uh, swerve says you're welcome by the way welcome for what we're ranked number five uh, Swerve says, you'll never win these championships. You need to respect your elders. And then Keith Lee says, indeed, you two of the most exclusive shindig. Uh, he didn't say that. But... <laughs> ah, shut up, man. <laughs> Furthermore, after you swerve in our glory, you can happily walk your happy asses back down the ladder. And uh, they get in Lee's face and he offers them some chewing gum for mastication purposes, presumably. Did <laughs> <laughs> you want to say about this? Um, Save it for the preview. Save it for the preview. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, oh, I feel bad here. Out comes Tony Nice for something. Doesn't matter though because he gets nailed by John Moxley, who's like out of the way, runs down to the ring, demands CM Punk comes out and says, "Know what? I'm not messing about here. Come down right now. World title unification match. Let's have it." Punk comes down, but of course, again, all the officials get in the way. Um, and this was the moment. And uh, I just, I think this, this keeps, uh, what's it called, repeating on me. And I keep laughing. Claudio picking Moxley up like he's in a <laughs> kebab shop. At t- Leave him, John. Not worth it, mate. Look, we've all had a good time. Uh, him and you is there, obviously. And, and Punk's like, oh, he wants to get his hands on him. But I think there's also a little bit of like, I really want to get my hands on you, but not right now, obviously. Like, I'll, be, I'll be back. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no no title match now. We might as well deal with it because the, the announcement came later on in the show. But yes, next week, world title unification match. Right, okay, let's all calm down. We've <laughs> got a preview to promote <laughs> next week. Should we not talk about what we think is going to happen? Let's be disciplined Ooh, and save it. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because we've I've already done it over the desks, and we know that it's all there in the chamber for next yeah, week. Yeah. yeah, what we should do is like keep like keep the the listeners, you know, on the hook, and decide, tell them what's going to happen next week to save something for the preview. But let's talk about this. You got rules, rules, rule, right? For three years, right? This company is presented 
albeit at times Tony Khan has tacked on ridiculous storyline reasons for the most forgettable of undercard affairs. It's one of my least favorite tropes of his. But more often than not, five or six, sometimes four, sometimes seven, mostly between five and six, announced fixtures, matches held to determine to either settle rivalries or determine ranking places, right? For three years, everything's been announced in advance. For three years, every match has happened. Only once have they done an impromptu match, and I hated it, go back and yeah. listen, right? <laughs> With the idea being that it's meant to emulate a sporting broadcast that you can kind of take seriously as this word, as this world where main events happen because you've got to sell a TV show because it's a sport, right? When this is disrupted, it is so thrilling because it really means that CM Punk and John Moxley literally cannot wait to get their hands on each other. It makes the established order of things and the rules in place in this fictional world really make it mean some things. It feels like a transgression mm. of the values of the broadcast when Punk and Mox are just so full of hatred and loathing that they have to interrupt this. And, oh my God, I'm letting it play out with smart Mark Sterling <laughs> because his stupid character and the stupid way in which, well, the character's great, the stupid way in which the character is booked is nonsensical. Something completely fair and within the rules happened to my client. I'm going to create a petition to wrong this right. Unsafe working environment with a Blackpool Combat Club. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. But now the man has got a genuine grievance. I'm letting it play out with smart Mark Sterling, so that's how good this goddamn show was. This was inspired. This was absolutely inspired, yeah. You get a Tony Nese-John Moxley match out of this with a reason, because it's AW and these things matter. It was going to be, I think, Tony Nese versus Sonny Kiss. So he was finally going to get his dynamite ah, opportunity, having signed yeah. up for the Trustbusters, and he's lost that. So that might be a least thread that gets picked up. Um, this made me think, for the first time ever, about a wrestling thing that has been done a hundred million times, right? A pull apart is to pull the wrestlers apart and it was successful. And then everybody, security, just went back to their jobs. So what happened? The wrestlers tried to fight each other again. <laughs> like, pull apart is not end of everything, because this is not supposed to be fake. It's not so, whoa, we pulled them apart. Like, what's one of the more famous ones recently? Undertaker and Brock Lesnar from that Raw, right? It takes, like, the whole locker room, doesn't it? It's a massive pull apart. It's a really big one. And they get pulled apart. What then? Well, they just peacefully go back to the hotel rooms until next week's Raw. Like, Ronda and Becky and Charlotte had to be put in individual police cars. You've got to, the idea is you're supposed to make it super effective that they cannot be near each other. And they didn't do a good enough job of that. Mm. So Punk and Mox took the first opportunity again to get to each other. Such a great way to establish this fight needs to happen. And it's why the match, and this isn't preview fodder, it's why this was Tony Khan's latest, greatest graphic drop. Because all they'd done was sell you on a fight, and then you were given the sugar rush of, well, we're getting it now. Mm. I, popped, I popped. Even though the paper you like, the, the, I appreciate that we're getting the start match next week. But, like, you were just like, oh, okay, well, that'll make sense. Pay-per-views in two weeks. You know? And I'm like, nope, we can't, we can't wait till then. We can't have shows of them showing up backstage. And I'm always reminded of... We can't have matches getting interrupted. We can't yeah. do that. And if it... There's a risk there, so it has to happen next week. And his word on the pull-apart there, I'm always reminded of, I think it was Matt Jackson. You remember when they were oh like... Oh, my God. Mm. And they were like, right, we're separating. He's like, no, I, I still fucking want it. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not a TV is, show. Yeah, but, it's yeah. not a TV show. That wall isn't invisible. I'm still hot, so I'm just going to go and fight. And why wouldn't I do that in this temper I'm in? And I will never, ever learn lessons. And there is going to be some bad faith criticism out there suggesting that this is some sort of hot shot thing or... I mean, understandably, panic booking because Heatwave did such a good number, Tony Khan's running scared. They've got to, they've got to counter-program that lights-out match next o week. So. Obviously. 
However, um, I, like I will never ever learn lessons. Like even if those, even if there's an element of panic booking here, which there's not, there's a plan. Like this is booking. Something awesome yeah. is going to happen next week. It's going to happen. Which we'll talk about the preview. Like I will never not just want all the cool wrestling thrown at me. Like I don't care how many times it was a mistake to want it in the Wednesday night war. I'd be like. I get all these really rational points why you wouldn't do this, but oh my God! <laughs> like, so even if all that stuff wasn't the case, which it is, this is booking, right? It's Punk and Mox for the title next week. Jesus Christ. Mm. Like, don't don't worry about the big picture. That's that's up to them to treat you. What culture wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, if this is your first podcast, make sure you subscribe. By the way, well done getting this far if it's your first podcast. <laughs> getting through all the impressions and voices that I do. Uh, yeah, if you subscribe, it'll drop into your feed as soon as it is released on... Wednesday, next mm. week. Uh, right, Chris Jericho and the boys, Daddy Magic, Cool Hand Ange, they're backstage. This was, I think this was the point where I, it might be, you know. Uh, he talks about potential, or he's asked, sorry, about potential sort of dissension between himself and Garcia. Uh, and he says, you know, I'm going to give I'm gonna give Daniel Garcia the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I need to know for sure. So let's talk it out in the ring next week. Whose side are you on? I was just waiting for him to come with another synonym for parlay or whatever <laughs> it was here. Um, but yeah, they're going to discuss it next week, which of course we will preview. And then uh, here comes Ricky Steamboat. Uh, he puts over Garcia. He says he's coming into his own. Doesn't need Jericho. Doesn't need these guys. All right, well. Uh, he says Jericho's the same bloody guy from years ago. Same same hair, same get up and go. Look, if anyone should mentor Daniel Garcia, it should be Danielson. Jericho says bloody goody two-shoes Steamboat, which I've never understood <laughs> to put down. Look at you being all good. Uh says, I haven't liked you for 15 years. Um, st- you know, stay out of my business. Get your hands off me. Don't touch me. Jericho walks off. Cool. And Ange decides, now's the time to choke uh, Ricky Steamboat, I think. <laughs> Grabs him by the throat and uh, says, yeah. Yeah, boy, stay away. <laughs> Steamboat just smacks him across the face. I love this. I love it. But if I, if I was going to be like a really pedantic arsehole, right? Chris Jericho was just in shock. And there was a three-on-one heel to babyface advantage. And Ricky Steamboat was legendary as he is. He's like a really old man now. There's no real reason for him not to get his head stoved in. But I enjoyed the moment nonetheless. You, you give latitude for things like this. Chris Jericho like, is shouting down the corridor. I'm walking away and absolutely nothing is going wrong. And those noises definitely mean my yeah, boys yeah. are winning this fight. I'm yeah. not going to look back. Yeah, yeah. it's stupid. But I, you have latitude for things like this. Old men in wrestling are brilliant for this. In a split second, they can switch from... Oh my god! Why is he choking that pensioner too? That pensioner just slapped the shit. Like yeah. I love that pivot, yeah. like that you get with old wrestlers because you just believe them. Also, you had been talking in the office today about how Jericho has had this sensational year with amazing opponents. Obviously, next one's going to be presumably Danielson. I've just figured out his his year ended to complete this set. Jericho, Daddy Magic, Cool Hand Ange versus Ricky Steamboat, Mickey Rourke, and. The real star, Mickey Gooch is there. Put the Gooch in there the with Gooch. Daddy Magic. Get that Gooch out there. So I tell a lie. <laughs> I tell a lie, right? I did say earlier in the podcast that I've never experienced a visceral, oh, can I really actually hate you? And I wanted you to get your head kicked in reaction to CM Punk's promo. Gooch. The Gooch. The Gooch. The bad, Gooch gotcha. Bad, already a bad mood with the closing segment and the concept behind it. And then who's this? Arsehole. Who's this? <laughs> trying to steal the limelight, looking weird, distractingly weird, thinking he's hard. Who is this guy? Standing in front of like... I mean, it's home. Hen- I hate my life. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is bad now. Henry Cejudo's there, multiple-time world champion. Chris Ty- Tyson's Tyson. just Hulk Hogan, his top off. <laughs> 
Get out of the way. You're going to get gooched. So basically, gooch and punk. <laughs> gooch and punk. What a bail. Uh, right. Uh, MGF has wound me up before as well. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, hold your hands up here. We got this. Punk and it's John Moxley, mate. <laughs> Be nice to John Moxley. Imagine John Moxley slapping the bully choke on the gooch. You can't choke out the gooch. I'd, I'd pay for it. <laughs> I'm a cheap bastard as well, but I would pay for that. Uh, right, I get the kids those like stress bottles, like the sort of water balloons where the water just like spurts out the side. Like that'd be just like the cutest like blood vessels and eyes and everything popping <laughs> bit after bit after bit. Uh, hands up, uh, we got this completely wrong on the preview. It was uh, Gun Club versus Varsity Blondes. It went twenty-seven seconds. <laughs> My favorite thing about this, right, is that go back and listen to the preview. It's always good, um, even if it's redundant. Is that we said right? Okay, how. We know they're going to geek out the Varsity Blondes here, <laughs> but how are they going to geek them out? Because they kind of have to win to advance the story, right? They could just express total incredulity, rule of three joke. Oh, they've won. Oh, they've won. <laughs> they've won. <laughs> 20 seconds and just boom, get out the road. Austin Gunn just gets rid of Pillman. Colton hits the Colt 45. <laughs> One, two, three. Yeah. 27 seconds. So funny. The pecking order. Anyway, uh, post-match, Billy Gunn gets on the mic, says how proud he is of his sons. He says, that is what I've been trying to teach you these past couple of weeks. I'm so, so proud of you. Like, I've done a lot of great things in my career, but being able to work next to the two of you is, is one of my proudest achievements. And there's a lovely gun club family hug. And then bloody Stokely Hathaway appears on the ramp, and we're all like, what are you doing? Are you ruining this nice family moment? And he sort of extends his hand. And Austin and Colton Gunn kick the crap out of their own dads. They beat him up. They attack him from behind. Uh, the acclaimed have to run out and make the save. They chase off what is left of, I suppose, the gun club. Um, and they save Billy Gunn and scissor me daddy to, to end the segment. I thought this was all trash, right? <laughs> but I will acknowledge that scissor me daddy is over enough in that kind of Dan Housen-y meme way that a lot of people were glad to experience it. So... Like, that's uh, at this point, we've learned now that AEW does cater to that section of the audience, and then there's a value to that as well. So, fine. I thought the rest of this was absolute trash. It's funny watching the Bonds getting like decimated. So by funny. So, we'll take that. It's but so funny. You know how, you know, the Diamond Mine standoff on NXT where it's like, oh, are they setting up a turn? And then they didn't. And then they were setting up another turn, and they didn't. I mean, it ends in Gallus, so it's a huge disappointment in the end. But those two, like, turns, I was like, oh, good false flags. Yeah. There. I could see the turn coming on Billy Gunn a mile off. Like, this was a far inferior version of that. And you could only see it from a mile off when you were a foot away from it, if that makes any sense. They didn't preview this. No, they didn't. But then... I, I was here. And nor, would they, and nor would they have... Yeah, that's true, yeah. And nor would I have predicted the acclaim would have saved him because he turned on them like two weeks earlier. I kind of think, I, like, I don't get... I don't really get that. I you know what? I was the low guy in this whole program, right? Thinking, uh... I'm simply not having as much fun as everybody else, therefore I resent your fun. <laughs> I... Oh, this was great. And I've not really been the high guy in this whole thing. We've flipped because I quite like this. I thought this was like yeah, yeah, totally earnest attempts to do yeah. better by everybody, yeah. I've totally, I think I love this. I think the idea was that there was a genuine, absurd, how does Tony Khan think to put people together chemistry between Billy Gunn and the Acclaimed? And then it was all set up, the turn in the program. But, you know, it was still there. And it was like, it felt like a years-long reconciliation. Like, 
Oh, and Kota Bushi and Kenny Omega in 2018. Except it's Billy Gunn and Max Caster. As the world of the Gun Club turns, I need to know where Paul White stands in all of it. <laughs> is he still with Billy or is he side with the boys or what? They've just gone back to something. Like, you know what? That actually worked. So let's go this direction. Or it was the direction. I just honestly. I, you're not going to get better than a dumpster match, which was not. Do they have even. to wrestle again? That's so the thing. Do they have to have a rampage match and just uh, to like pay it off and for uh, real this time. Pushing uh, off a stage in a dumpster <laughs> to set up to the straight tag match and uh, do different, do different plunder, different plunder. Yeah. Mm. Like a scissor board death match. <laughs> <laughs> one board is like actual scissors; the other is like fingers. Yeah. <laughs> like like, the oh no! Which one they're going to fall on? Whoa, whoa. Uh, we get a video promo recapping um, Jay Lethal and, and his guys going after the TNT Championship. Sanjay Dutt blows, a, blows his lid. Uh, they challenge Wardlow and FTR at All Out, and Satnam Singh says, why don't you try and powerbomb me, basically. More on that a little bit later. And then there's Death Triangle backstage. Uh, Pac talks about the United Empire, talks about Will Ospreay, says he's the best Brit this country's ever produced. Uh, they're an unstoppable unit, and he's looking forward to next week. That's all, man. Like, my, oh, my God, Osprey doing stuff with Pac and Phoenix in the same match. And, like, the other three guys are great as well. <laughs> I, I really like the line about the the best Brit, like, playing to Osprey's ego. And I'm really over Death Triangle. I'm not actually that hyped for the match. I'm hyped for the Pac and Osprey interactions. Kind of like, just, there's better guys now. That's uh, 2019 NXT stuff, this. Yeah, what have you done for me lately, Phoenix? That kind of stuff. Like, I, sh- I should be more hyped than I am. Um... Next was the, the only moment that kind of baffled me a little bit on this show. Uh, Jungle Boy comes out. Uh, he references Christian's a pussy. Pussy. Uh, shirt from the other week says uh, he got in a bit of trouble. That He's not allowed to wear it anymore. But it Nor should he. No. Hits the nail on the head. Um, he says, look, I've tried to attack and fight Christian a million times, and Christian's done absolutely nothing in return. So let's have it out. Let's have a match at All Out. Uh, Christian comes out and says, no. He says, look, I'm proud of you, Jungle Boy. Uh, you're actually speaking for once. Um, he said, "Look, uh, we're all both. We we're all upset when you lost the tag titles. We all said things we didn't mean. Uh, I want to fix things, though. I want another run with you. I'll take you to the promised land. At the end of the day, he said, we're family. I love you. You're like a son to me. Come back home. Deafening BS chance during this, by the way. Uh, Jungle Boy teases a hug, but instead double legs him, takes him down, lays in strikes. Christian breaks free, rolls to the floor." Kicks, Mule kicks Jungle Boy low, sends him into the barricade, calling him a stupid piece of crap. Um, goes to send him into the steel steps, but Jungle Boy reverses it and drives him face first and stamps on his arm on the steps. Uh, continues the attack. Officials have to break it all up. What do you make of all this, Sid? Uh, it was very, very uneven, and I've got mixed thoughts on it. What was, however, Christian Cage's cheap local heat line? Oh, It yeah. was so well delivered. Something like you would you wouldn't understand a bit like everyone. He basically said everyone were there from was completely backwards. Yeah, but it was just so casually, yeah, effortlessly, like being an arsehole is ingrained within him. It was just a fantastic. <laughs> he was like, "Come on, man, don't make it personal." Yeah, <laughs> that was fantastic. The cheap heat against the crowd was just so just casually delivered. I loved it. Um, my problem with this, I've got actually quite a few that. Main core problem with this program at this point is that when you tell a story for nearly 18 months, it co- it has to be like the, one of the absolute greatest things you've ever seen for it to be worth the time because the weight of expectations, when's the turn happening, when's the turn happening, all oh, these little hints are great, these little hints are great. It has to explode in a crescendo worth waiting that much time for. As it happens, it's a pretty heated and fun 
mid-card rivalry with some good lines here and there, right? So I just think telling the story for 18 months has kind of been wasted time, if I'm being perfectly honest. And it just feels like it should be bigger because 18 months tells you it should be bigger, right? Why waste 18 months for, oh, it's good upper card uh, fair, this? <laughs> that just doesn't work for me. The problem with having certain really young wrestlers is that Jungle Boy never watched WCW or ECW or late 90s WWF. He's probably too young for that. He probably really started to watch wrestling and study it enough to become a career watching WWE. So he's got, I think, this is an inference on my part, he's been almost programmed or conditioned to do promos in WWE speak because that's probably all he's watched for a long part of his life before he, you know, expanded his um, knowledge and all Mm. the rest of it. But he's still got that WWE speak, so all the pauses, what, what, and he's a respectable promo, which he's evolved from into from not great at all, but it's still nowhere near the standard of AEW, so the fans are really attacking him. It's not good. He's meant to be this. Christian Cage has had the worst things possible to him. Yeah, you should, These fans should be so generous and behind him, and yet they're giving him more chance because his promo wasn't good enough. What was my other problem with this? Yeah. You know what feels 10 years ago and not three? Like 10 years ago at this point is when AEW first launched into life with a marketing line, and that's all it ever was. Change the world. We're going to be progressive, inclusive. Um, here's Nyla Rose. Here's Sonny Case. Um, we're going to be this. Everyone gets a shot here. Everyone gets a shot here. And then on this dynamite, which is otherwise incredible, pussy is getting thrown around as an insult where the bloody women get trotted out for 10 friggin' minutes because we have to, because everyone will be on our bloody backs. We didn't have a woman's segment. Jesus Christ, wouldn't it just be easier if no one cared? We didn't have to have the bloody women on the show. Uh, what's, yeah, call them a pussy. Like, just piss off. Get in the bin with this. Mm. You can maybe, maybe get away with, oh, you're a pussy, if they had this thriving, heavily featured, really, really grafting towards this women's division, and they absolutely don't. It's uh, Hamflet coined this when we were having a few jars a couple of months ago. It's a bro company at its darkest and this is bro company stuff that i had very little time for yeah that like uh they made me take the t-shirt off the shelf i was like well good that's yeah. actually that's actually on you that's <laughs> like a little bit tone deaf as the baby face i thought i mean i agree with everything Cedric said there I, I think this was a victim of um uh just it's not promotional malpractice but it's a prom- it's malpractice from the promoter to include this angle at all on the night you're leaning so hard on punk and moxley the whole point of the Punk and Moxie thing is, and we've said it a lot of the time, like it has to feel real for it to resonate. You know, this has got to feel like this absolute, they want to just kill each other and this match has got to happen next week. Against all logic, it's got to happen next week because we cannot keep these men separate. All of a sudden, this story that has been rooted in all these real life things Christian has said at Jungle Boy suddenly feels like fake pro wrestling nonsense. Mm. I tried to hit you with my car last week and this week I'm going to do this on the steel steps and all that. It's like a diet version of the much hotter thing. So this was the wrong, like, all of a sudden it makes it feel like this 18-month story that the peak has passed. When it hasn't, I just think they were really unfairly placed in a predicament on the show when this could have waited till. It didn't happen with Hobbs and Starks. Mm. Like, you could do this next week or even the week after, or even not all. It's Christian versus Jungle Boy. We know all of it, and we're there. You could have actually left this one alone. And I just left the House of Black and Miro and Sting and Darby alone this week. Yeah. So why not leave this one as well? I just also didn't really understand Christian's like strategy here. I realised he was probably gonna kick him in the bollocks anyway after the run away or something. Yeah. You got he's basically trying to be a bitch because Luchasaurus wasn't there this week because of last week. So I get the story they were being told. It was just very as Hamful points out, it just felt very forced and fake because the other thing on the show (laughs) 
was so fiery and organic. I don't know about Luchasaurus, man. Has he ever laid his hands on Christian Cage? No, this is that. That kind of needs that twist to make the rest of the story make sense, doesn't it? Like the Luchasaurus bit, like, ah, oh, Jungle Boy thinks it's cool and it was okay that he was working with Christian just as a bit of a misdirect. What you said about the super clever dragon that was thinking three weeks in advance. Yeah. Like, the, like that all needed to happen for this to all make sense. If Luchasaurus turns on Jungle Boy, then it was like, ah, oh, no, he wasn't ever really with you. He was conflicted and he's made his choice. Yeah, Luchasaurus. But it feels to me like that <laughs> superfluous. Like yeah. Christian and Jungle Boy should just have a great wrestling match and J- Christian should elevate Jungle Boy. And mm. do that, like, you know, one for the fans, two for the locker room job that he's got. You know, mm. I don't know. Good news, everyone. The pinnacle's back. Uh, Wardlow and FDR are backstage. Uh, Did you notice them? Sorry, in case I just forget this. They kind of smirked when they yeah. said that. Right, right, pinnacle. Like, totally bantered off the idea that they were ever stable because they kind of weren't on telly. Yeah. But is all of this foreshadowing for next week's preview podcast uh, where I'm going to discuss my favorite outcome for the title match? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to be positive there because this match and this outcome sucks and it's a problem with like Tony Khan's lack Jay of focus. sucks. And Mr. Stars, this six-man is unacceptable pay-per-view fodder IMO. Cash said they never let Wardlow get jumped three-on-one. They challenged, they ch- well, they accepted or challenged them to the trios match. Why not we're getting this all out? Uh, Wardlow said he can powerbomb anyone and Dak said he's the best wrestler in the world, not Jay Lethal, and they'll settle that next week. Can I be generous? Generous. They are, there are three mooted trios matches looking likely for All Out. I love the fact that that is happening because the trios titles are a thing now and it feels like, right, a big brimming division. The trios matches have another reason to take place. Uh, This is get people on the card stuff, this. This is absolute get people on the card stuff and it's so transparent. Mm. Two points there because I'd spotted that with the the assumed Miro, Darby Allen Sting thing. I thought, that's pretty cool. Um, three matches on one card to establish some new men's belts. There's two women's belts, and those will be the only belts. There'll be less matches on that card for the two entire <laughs> women's divisions. <laughs> I um, think of that. But I uh, flashback to Double or Nothing, Wardlow and FTR, and where they were, and the way the summer's planned out, and look what they're like. That's that's poor form. That's bad booking. Yeah. Like, you take those two characters as hot as too they many both wrestlers. Were, yeah, coming out of Double or Nothing, you are looking at the three biggest victims of this the, the state of this roster at the moment. Uh, then Kylan King's music hits, which means, of course... It's time to play the game! And that game, Michael Sidgwick, is, of course... Well, this is ladies' nine, I'm thinking no one is near Yeah. So, yes. Uh, shout out once again to Adam Blair, at Adam Wilton 4. Give him all the... Uh, the daps on Twitter for this, for keeping us up to date on this. What times did we say, Michael Sidgwick? Well, the times for the game lead is nine. I'm thinking of what a name. Just if there's any new listeners who are absolutely baffled. <laughs> we poke fun at the obligatory token nature of the um, one women's segment per show on Dynamite and how it's just placed at the same time, usually every week, by trying to guess to the second when it's going to happen on the show Gauged by the first note of entrance music mm-hmm. that a woman has. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> I said it was going to be one hour, 14 minutes and eight seconds. Hamlet said it was going to be one hour, 22 minutes and 10 seconds. Oof. And Adam Wilborn said it was going to be one hour, 18 minutes, playing it down the middle like a bitch, mm-hmm. 16 <laughs> seconds. Honestly, I was watching this, right? And that, what was it before that? 
yeah, Jungle Boy and Christian. And I went, oh, I didn't really like that, but come on, let's get the women out. And then they went, right, no, it was a Wardlow and MTR. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's all gone wrong. You know, I have one of my best mates in the world. Best man at each other's wedding. Uh, Tompa, lovely lad. Try uh, dry fried pasta once. <laughs> Just he's, cl- he's just class. You want that crunch? <laughs> Lovely guy, very clever. He's doing very well for himself, but just enough of an, of an idiot that he enables the patter to just an incredible yeah. degree. He's a lapsed attitude era fan, no bollocks, no BS. Who is in AEW hardcore now? Watches it every single ah. week. Drawn to it when he heard Jim Ross's authoritative voice and thought, "Oh, this must be legit and worth watching because Jim Ross is such an authoritative guy." He skips a women's match every single week. Yeah, man, yeah. Skips the women's match every single week. And you know, he's left-leaning, he's not like a misogynist but guy. Most people in the stands, they you can see them yeah. skipping yeah. the women's match and, and going he, and getting there. And he's just like, the toilet or whatever. Uh, I, I said, "Why?" He goes, "Oh, it's just not interesting and they don't care about it and I don't care about it either." And I was like, "Boom." Yep. There you go. Speaking of people who are uh, AEW hardcore fans, Scott Telford of What Culture loves this. And if you like gaming podcasts, he hosts the What Culture Gaming Podcast. That's also available wherever you get your podcasts from. And speaking of hardcore fans, an absolutely wonderful one sent the boys. Oh, yes. The Podcast yeah. Boys. And it's, yeah, the Podcast Boys, I think. Podcast Boys. Um, a. Let's make that a thing from now on. Let's podcast Boys. Podcast Boys. Podcast Boys. I'm making an accent, yeah. Um, <laughs> Zach, Zach, the yeah. wonderful Zach, sent us several treats for which we are very, very grateful. Thank we you. Scarfed them. Remember yeah. that rubber scarf? Yeah. That's a line in the Young Books book. We scarfed cheeseburgers. <laughs> and I scarf. I hate that word. But anyway, we scarfed them down. We were very appreciative. We don't know you at. Yeah, we want to we want to thank you on social mm. media. So Zach, get in touch with us, whether it's in the replies to this podcast or just messaging us personally, whatever it may be. We do want to uh, give you that. I've had a great Twitter day in terms of the responses and the engagement. So maybe wait until later. Uh, <laughs> so many, so many, yeah. so many it's, replies. It's proper Christmas feeling though, because the the like the gifts were so big, like the box, the bag of fun size chocolates, and then the box of galaxies. Like there's so many of them. It's like like Boxing Day where there's still so much left. You oh. go in, it's like. There's tons left here, and it's only going to be in like sort of two, three weeks. I was like, "Well, we got through them really quick, didn't we?" Like, t- they were <laughs> never going. They were never going to go down. Where they've all gone. <laughs> uh, but yes, congratulations! The streak finally over, Michael Hamflet. Uh, your sixth attempt. You yeah. finally got it right. It took a long time, and now I've got it. I realise how pyrrhic this victory is. It's quite a sad victory lap to take this oh, one, no, isn't it? No. Yeah, it's not a belt you want to win. Um, Carlin King got a fair bit of offence in here. Like which the twenty-four-seven was... title. Shocked <laughs> yeah. me. Uh, Anything from ROH. The twenty four seven title currently held by Dana Brooks, so like even that's getting more I know, credit I know. in time. <laughs> even to cut a car, I was like, oh, oh, no. I don't want that. Um, All right, you can have twenty four seven title. Like in wrestling dynamite. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, yeah. I was gonna say uh, there was uh, Thunder Rose obviously watching backstage, um, and I assumed it was just going to be a straightforward squash basically for Tony Storm. But no, Carlin King got some uh, got some good offense in using her using her power. Uh, a jumping knee off the ropes. Um, stump of, uh, stump, Storm avoided a, a driving, diving drop kick and went for a DDT on the floor, but King powers out and drove Storm into the barricade to take us to a break. When we come back, Storm counters an avalanche back suplex into a crossbody. German suplex Briggs gets a two count. Uh, Spinebuster from King gets her a two count, but then Storm hit the sweet cheeks music, that corner hip attack, and the swinging DDT 
for the one, two, three. A, 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 a victory, but not as straightforward as I would have assumed. Yeah, King really impressed here, and it's hard to in this role because you kind of have to do one thing or the other. You have to work so hard that you make it look like a genuine struggle for the person you're ultimately putting over because it's always just star versus jobber, always. Like, even by AEW standards where most dynamite matches are, this is another level. Or you get squashed like a bug if you're fighting like a Jade Cargill or another top title contender. This was this, like, bizarre happy medium where it felt like King was a regular member of the roster rather than a fly-in for the week. Like, it felt like she was working away up for the rankings and maybe if she'd beaten Tony Storm, maybe she'd be in mm. contention. And I just loved that it was wrestled like that because even in the face of this obvious disinterest, like this internal disinterest from the company, they wrestled like this was a rankings battle that legitimately mattered rather than Tony Storm just getting on with the admin of winning her generic TV match to get her generic title shot. And for five minutes, you could get... Like you could get grabbed by the throat and dragged into the fiction of it, and I like that. That sounds like I'm patronising the quality of the match because we all know what AEW's women's division is. But I admired them trying mm. to fight for more than it was. The singles match, which we now can assume is happening, in my mind, should still be a four way. Like, really, what was the point of the Britt Baker, Jamie Hater stuff? If like, other than just to like fill time on the weeks, they won that tag match. So could they not be... It's like, should Britt Baker not be the first to be like, hang on a second. Yeah. Like, we should be part of this. Like, I still think the four-way is the play, and I don't think they're going to do it. No, they don't usually change a graphic, do they? <laughs> yeah. When the when the pay-per-view's there, they just do not change that mm. graphic, so it's very rare for that to happen, so I don't expect it to. Um, get the belt off Thunder Rosa, give it to Tony Storm. This was, if nothing else, an incredibly obvious way to say, right, Tony Storm's no one contender. She's just won this match. King deserves a lot of credit here. Um, for her level of experience, there's always you always hear, oh, this wrestler's doing really well on dark, really well on dark. Um, then the confidence is shattered because they're in front of a dead crowd who are not interested. And it doesn't matter how well you do with an early crowd or on the indies, TV's a different animal. And when you get on there and you've got thousands of people not giving a toss about you, a lot of these really inexperienced women's wrestlers get very, very uh, lost trying to do too much or fail to make an impression. I think King did none of that. This is very creditable. Yes. Uh, right, main event time. Uh, it's the Trios Championship Tournament quarterfinal. Uh, La Faction Ingo Bernable. Just about. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> uh, as Andrade, Roosh, and Dragon Lee, of course, um, with the absolute peace that is Jose, the assistant at ringside, uh, versus the Young Bucks and question mark. And... At what point did you feel all right during this when, they, when you knew it was going to be a mega? Was it the piece of paper or was it literally when they said, North Carolina, basically? The piece of paper. Yeah, the I thought so. Paper. Yeah, they hand a note to uh, Justin Roberts and it's uh, all the sh- spiel for, for Kenny Omega and the, the paps on taps of paps on taps of paps on taps of paps, 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 paps. When it is officially <laughs> Kenny Omega, he's there. He comes out. He's flanked by Don Callis, who goes to commentary, and uh, Michael Nakazawa. And, uh, yeah, he's wearing, what would you call that? The It's a compression shirt. Compression shirt, and as Andy coined it, Chris Brooks's arm sling <laughs> thing uh, on his on his sh- shoulder. Um, he is a one-winged angel after yes. all, isn't he? And uh, he, he can't quite go. Uh, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that in a second, because uh, that was... What's the jacket? Cowboy-y, by the way, was that just me? Like that the leathery... Hat. I don't know long, if it was because it looked yeah. different over him with the top on rather than... Probably Final Fantasy stuff. If I'm... No, it isn't. It's <laughs> yeah. You want it to be more if than... In doubt, it. just like, assume. I stopped paying attention to, like, Omega's tights, because they're amazing. They're these lovely airbrush designs, but it's always like, oh, it's a, it's a game I've never played and never will. Cool. Do you like RPGs? 
Yeah. I've, I've turned heel on several mega fans by saying that. <laughs> I like when I'm playing games and I'm a deeply, deeply casual gamer to like actually hit people. Oh, the fight sequences have never made sense to me in those games. I don't understand. Turn-taking fight, like again, we're alienating a lot of listeners yeah, here, I think. Turn-taking fight mode, what's that about? I don't get it. I don't get any enjoyment from from watching the number 80 go down to 62. What does that even mean? <laughs> I like the physical action of collision detection, bouncing on someone's head off a Mario or just, you know, battering someone from somebody else. Crashing a car and someone score a goal. 100 hand slap. Yeah, yeah, like volleys, <laughs> volleys, vo- like lobbed pass, volley over the keeper, Shearer against Evan. Yeah. That kind of goal in FIFA, like, that's what I get. I will say, right, that the people who love RPGs adore them. Mm. So there must be something to them that we're just swine who don't understand. Mm. And one more thing before we move on. There's nothing I don't think I would love to like more than a classic SNES 16-bit RPG. Mm. These cultural properties are beloved. Village music, oh my god, is so quaint and sweet <laughs> and nice. And gives me nostalgia for something I never actually liked. Mm. And the whole aesthetic and vibe and soundtrack of a 16-bit RPG is just wonderful. But I just don't like playing them. You got that on the Switch where you can get like the SNES and N64 back catalogs now. I, I got a mini SNES as well. So oh I've, yeah, I've had the chance to, to play up, like, like uh, what's... Uh, Earthbound on Mother. I've like seen Kenny that. Omega loves yeah. that. That's on the mini snares. I tried. Again, I love the aesthetic. Mm. Chrono, Chrono Trigger, that gets raves. Final Fantasy, that gets raves. My mates used to love Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII because they were coming out yeah. as releases when we were like Mine in too. PlayStation well, era. We were like PlayStation era, year seven or year eight. Yeah. Right. It's going to mean nothing if we went to high school, but maybe I was a, <laughs> maybe I was a sophomore. Or we were a sophomores, a freshman, or something. Some, some some yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and it was like right, the best game ever. Yeah, yeah is ever. out is out for Christmas. And I was like, oh, Santa, can I have that, please? Yeah, and I opened it up. I thought, oh my god, Final Fantasy Seven. It's maybe the best thing of all time. Insert disc. Why can't why can't I punch someone? Why can't I punch someone? I use a sword. Yeah. Looking over to FIFA night year, Road to World Cup, and we're like, put that back in. Yeah, put it back in. Uh, honestly, the, I got the, the first turn taken battle in Final Fantasy VII because I didn't know what an RPG really mm. was. Mm. And I was like, right, get the sword out. I saw there's a sword on the cover, and it's massive. And it says the best game of all time. What? <laughs> <laughs> Lucky, luckily, it was the PlayStation One, and you knew everybody that was making hooky discs on those blue discs. Oh, yeah. So, like, you just didn't respect any games at the time. It was like yeah. five minutes and that rubbish. <laughs> Frisbee down the window. Like, yeah, I played every football game out there because every game was 50 pence from the book at the it top was, of the it street. Was, it was, yeah, the lad at school who knew some yeah, bloke. you went to them. And everyone was making, like, a tiny bit of money. Mine was a guy who did fishing, right? <laughs> and his house was a tip. And it stunk. And I had to sit there for an awkward hour while he ripped the discs oh, yeah. in front of us. I, see, I didn't go direct to source. I had a, I had a mate. I think, I think. My my would, dad jumped on that for me, and uh, on the day that like the bloke turned up to our house with LMA Manager two thousand and one, oh my god, like rubbish football games like this is football and three yeah. lions, but it's like fifty p. FA Premier League, FA Premier League stars, yeah, yeah. They play the platform game Pandemonium, I think it was. Yes, called. that rings a bell. Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking so about? Abe's Oddworld. Let's talk oh. about the thing I've been looking forward to for nine months. Abe's hey, Oddworld. Overrated, but Abe farts. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you like listening to people do turn-taking games, uh, you might like Dice with Death, a D&D performative podcast <laughs> with myself and some friends. Check it out, Dice with Death, wherever you get your podcasts from. Oh, there we go. Uh, you got any podcasts you want to promote? Uh, not anymore, but Podcast Horseman's good. You if go. you like Bojack Horseman, it's still kicking around. 
How do you want to do this? Do you want me to run through the entire match and then we'll recap it? Yes. Yeah, yes, okay. Please right. do. So, uh, do some turn taking afterwards, yeah. <laughs> Nick Jackson and uh, Dragon Lee starts. Dragon Lee was great in this. Uh, Nick hits an, uh, an arm drag. Um, they Partners come in, but the Bucks and Omega get rid of them. And in comes Kenny Omega. Uh, he takes out Lee with a springboard. Ten punches in the corner. Yay, Kenny Omega's back. Why can't he do You Can't Escape? <laughs> Does the first bit. But he's like, oh, I'm a bit old now, but my bloody back. Tags out. Uh, Omega and the Bucks hit, hit a triple team to take uh, to maintain control, I should say. Uh, Andrade comes in. There's a nice face-off with Omega, but um, a distraction from Jose, the assistant, uh, allows Roosh to, to attack, and then they take control there, and they beat him down during the commercial. Uh, when we come back, he finally gets Omega does to the corner for the hot tag to, to Nick Jackson, who fights off Andrade, fights off Roosh. Um, Matt tags in, repeated Northern Lights suplexes, and then there's the bit where you come in and I'll try and suplex. Oh, another one comes in. It's a three-on-three eventually, which the Bucks and Omega win. Uh, Nick hits a step-up flip dive, but then all of the uh, all of uh, La Faction in God... In, Shouldn't have attempted it. Uh, Ingo, Ingo Bernable hit big moves. Uh, double knees in the corner from Andrade for a two count. They isolate, isolate Matt Jackson. Simultaneous drop kicks. That takes us to a commercial break again. When we come back, Omega gets the hot tag. Snapdragon suplexes on all three opponents. Uh, super kicks from the books uh, on loads of people. Uh, an assisted buckle bomb from Matt and a cannibal sent on onto uh, Dragon Lee. Uh, all three of them hit super kicks, but Andrade comes in to break up the pin. The books take out Roosh, take out Andrade, and it's time. And I'll, I'll run through this and we'll get your thoughts on it because it's going to form a bigger point about Omega and his recovery because it's time for the Terminator dive. We all know what happens. He's banging on the mat. Lee cuts off the dive. Uh, Omega gets rid of him. Oh, bloody D now because I've got a laundry list of injuries. Um and he's struggling with his knee, and Jose trips him up on the dive, and then that allows them to take over, and they put Omega up on the guard rail, and I think, oh, what are you going to do here? And the answer is, Dragon Lee kills Kenny Omega and the front row, basically. And a child. <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs> Tope onto him, wiping out him, and, and yeah, the, the audience. Uh, getting back in the ring, two count. Andrade comes in, climbs up the ropes. Nick cuts him off. Lee takes Nick out with the Hurricane Rana. Andrade goes to the moonsault. Omega moves, but Andrade just does it again. For a nice near fall. Andrade hits him with the hammerlock DDT. But Matt comes in and there's that shoving match with Roosh. And they get pushed onto the pile for a great near fall. Uh, Omega hits the V-trigger out of nowhere on Dragon Lee. Second one. And a gassed Kenny Omega. Just about gets Lee up. One winged angel. One, two, three. Post-match. Andrade hits the Hammerlock DDT on Dragon Lee to take and knocks his mask off because Tony Khan just can't let things happen. But most importantly, Kenny Omega, Michael Sidgwick, is back. But he's not quite fully back, is he? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, right? The whole discourse and what people want to hear about is how much is Kenny Omega working being not 100%? There's a lot of column A and actually a little bit of column B. He's obviously working. Like, clearly, goddammit. The whole... And you don't even have to watch BTE to get this because commentary told you, and if you're not an idiot and don't need things explained to you, you can watch the actual wrestling match, which <laughs> is being shown to you, the beats of the story. But the very first thing that Matt Jackson said when he picked up the call to Kenny Omega was like, are you sure you're ready? 
that should be the first hint of this beat. It's actually, and Kenny Omega's the best at this, even though he's also called the worst at this, and that tells you how stupid certain people are, he is the best sports-oriented storyteller in all of professional wrestling. Look at Dominion 2018 and the 18 months that preceded it for proof of that and how stamina and then heart and guts, but mainly stamina, got him to the 70-minute mark against Kazuchika Okada, then framed as the biggest god of all time in old in New Japan Pro Wrestling, to actually win the IWGP title. Stamina. Sports. This will be in play later on. It's always going to be hard to come back after such a layoff, especially the specific nature of Kenny's layoff and how many injuries were piled on top of injuries to get in and work a 20-minute main event, even if it was the trios, right? So he was going to always get gassed. Now, he's clever enough to realize that he's going to tell this big story about becoming whole again, becoming completely recovered. And the dramatic beats of that story necessitate him um, not doing the Terminator die, for example. But he did hook up the You Can't Escape. He did look like his cardio wasn't amazing, but that's natural. So it kind of inadvertently fed into the story he is actually deliberately telling. Um it wasn't helped the story because the match itself wasn't the cleanest. So there were bits where you're thinking, is this going a bit wrong? Is putting it in a commercial break, which just strips this specific match of all of its momentum, that good an idea? There were certain moments where Rush wasn't in position perfectly. Um, there was a bit where they telegraphed the living hell out of, I think it was the Hammerlock DDT on Omega from Andrade. And like they were already stood there and they had to, like, wait around for two seconds and then do the... It wasn't, like, oh, out of nowhere, he's thrown Roosh onto the pile and they've broken mm. up the pin. It was so obvious. So it wasn't the um, the free-flowing Young Bucks spot fest, which is more than a spot fest, but it's just the easiest way to describe mm -hmm. it. That just happened to have Kenny Omega a little bit injured during it, worked or otherwise or whatever. So that didn't help the story being told because it complicated it and kind of turned it from work to shoot a little mm -hmm. bit. But I was watching Omega very closely, as you'd expect. He's wearing the compression shirt. He's got a bit of bandage. That's taken off because a lot of this has worked. What was particularly inspired about this match was the fact that an absolutely broken thrash Kenny Omega could still do the V-trigger, right? Even if he didn't sprint quite as rapidly as he did. It's like a rampage into a knee. It's the best thing ever. He could still whack it, even from like the short distance. He could always still do the one-winged angel, even those knackered shoulders. The key point where people really started to measure just how thrashed he was in 2021 was, can he even clear the top rope on the Terminator dive anymore? I've watched him do it by two feet against a carter at the Tokyo Dome, and now he's just barely clearing it. It was so inspired and clever to tell this specific story to tease that specific move. Can he do it as good as he used to? And it turns out, because he's excellent at this and he's always thinking long-term, he couldn't even do it at all on the night. His knees buckled. He was um, deprived from doing mm -hmm. it by um, the various people at ringside. So that was a stunning storytelling because he's making you wait to see. It's the symbolic, he is back if he can do the best Terminator dive you've ever seen. So they're making you wait for that because all of this, or most of it anyway, has worked. Um... So that is the key. It's worked. When he did the V-trigger at the end to set up the one-winged angel, he clutched at his chest 
which was in the most absurd physical condition you've ever seen a non-juiced wrestler <laughs> ever at Dominion 2018. He doesn't have the stamina yet. He hasn't built it. Therefore, he's going to clutch at his chest when he does it. A brilliant bit of selling, which indicates to me that he is working because he is. Um, the compression shirt, I like it as a look. I like it even more as a storytelling device, but it's all a visual cue. And the commentary team said this all match long. How ready is he? But there were glimpses. There were glimpses of the storytelling now with the compression shirt. There were storytelling um, indications with that wonderful spot where he was targeted, and it was like the movie scene where all the heavies take the guy up out and shoot him because he's just defenseless. It looked like a, a gang beatdown. That was also exhilarating pro wrestling with that Dragon League dive, which was just incredible. Um, there were little glimpses where it's like, no, you are fine. You just need the cardio. And they always say, you can only be in the ring. You can only be in the ring. You can run marathons. It's not the same. The penetration step was still lightning quick. The snapdragons were still great. And he still cleared with ease. I think it was Roosh to do uh, Kreutzrath. So my heart was in my mouth a little bit. But I got just enough to realize, yeah, he's going to be Absolutely fine. Yeah, I think the story of the ring rust is exemplified by the amount of people we've had on Twitter this morning for the news saying, have they brought him back too soon? That's what they want you to think. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, there's an uncomplicated version of this, which is just if you just watch the wrestling show and you watch the story and you accept it at face value, that's the story they're telling you. So that's a, a good thing. This was a better angle than it was a match for me because I thought the match, like, uh, the Kenny Omega angle was a great angle. The match, I don't think was that good. And there were times when, as Cedric pointed out, one kind of clashed with another and it maybe impacted it. I wanted as part of the selling. So for me, towards the end, or maybe it's for people like that, I suppose, but this, the Omega thing was so on the nose that I kind of wish they'd gone in a bit of a different direction with it and had him keep the selling of his injuries a bit more low-key and have the young books just be exhilarating and Kenny be the contrasting figure. Mm. Like all the five of them going bang, 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 and then Kenny can't quite keep pace than him just clutching and holding everything, as well as some of that played out. Um, I haven't got a lot more to add in terms of, like, Sidgwick's articulation of this, like, this brilliant latest Kenny Omega, like, story beat. What I will say is something I really liked, because I did see a few people uneasy with the presence of Don Callis. I love that, and I love that he was featured on commentary as well, and in the conversation throughout, as he always has done, putting Kenny Omega over as the greatest thing since sliced bread, where 30% Kenny Omega is better than most of mm-hmm. all, all the sort of lines. That's just good Callis stuff. But the Young Bucks, the detail of the Young Bucks, like not necessarily wanting him back unless he was ready and going to Hangman Page first and this all being to Kenny. It's not just Kenny Omega's ego, is it? The Young Bucks love Kenny Omega. Don Callis needs Kenny Omega. Mm-hmm. He's his meal ticket and we know this and we know that Callis is the devil on his shoulder and now the Young Bucks can go back. Callis is the devil on everybody's shoulder. He's the invisible hand. The Young Bucks are kind of the angels here and they're like, oh yeah, great to have you back, Kenny. Are you definitely all right, mate? Like They'll pick him up when he's down in these trios matches. Callis needs this to go well because what the hell's he been doing for the last few months? Nothing. Kenny Omega's been out. He needs to get out there. Like It's that sort of old sort of cliche about like the, the rotten agent pushing the, the old horse out for one more round, you know? And like I really like that detail that Callis is still kicking around. I know that like people are worried that because he's coming out as ostensibly as a babyface again, it doesn't work. Yeah. But if anything, I think that's a nicer detail as part of Kenny Omega's recovery. Who are we, the fans? Are we the young bucks that want this for like for all of us? Or are we Callis being cruel and wanting Omega to be back out there? Go on, go out there and die for me. Like I like that it's kind of making you ask that question as well. Mm. 
The dra- Dragon Lee post-match angle was preposterous, though. Stupid. Tony Khan at his absolute worst. There are two, the two most prominent Western Twitter accounts that cover Lucha extensively. Both Lucha Blog and Rob Viper were like, have they just worked their own angle here? They weren't 100% sure whether they... On just the grounds that it can't possibly be that bad. Yeah. You can't have just taken away Kenny Omega's moment to do a turn yeah. that you see six seconds. And based on their reputation. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 Um, the compression shirt... I like it as gear. I like it as a storytelling device. And it's going to be one of those things that if he rips it off in the throes of battle, and he's got an aid pack. Mm-hmm. It looks amazing. But if you look, right... And of course, in tribute to a carded long voice, keeping those two things tethered together as well. Yeah. Nice. The thing uh, as well, before we quickly wrap up, we've gone absolutely ages on this, <laughs> is that... Um, I forgot the hell. I forgot what I was going to say. I'll talk about it next week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let us know your thoughts on, on everything rela- related to this Sorry, show. Sorry, I've remembered. There you go. <laughs> My image of Kenny Omega at his most broken, because I think he had a lot of short-term fixes, like the stem cell treatment throughout 2021. Did you see the thing about his vertigo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Kazuchika Okada dropkick. Yeah. Worked 2018. Yeah. So he's had, like, the laundry list. My image of Kenny Omega is most broken, the saddest I've watched where I'm thinking, please just drop the title and just get better, was against Moose. He looked pretty awful. It was the worst Kenny Omega match mm. I've ever seen. I remember you saying, yeah. And he looked like he's got a really bad, almost banana-shaped posture. And because he couldn't work out, like he lost some of the definition on his physique, underneath that compression shirt, he looks jacked. The posture's back as well, which is another tell that more of this is, way more of this has worked than they are letting on. Well, let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, so you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, of course. Uh, we'll be previewing AW Rampage uh, tomorrow, of course, myself and Michael Sidgwick, and we'll be uh, previewing that wild episode of Dynamite next week, so make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling to get that in your feed as soon as it is released. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite House of the Dragon review. <laughs> My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.